Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it! This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hot Body Dawson, pow pow pow. I am Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? It's the Sir Alf Ramsey Odyssey, working our way through the uh, biography of Sir Alf. Uh, forgotten the name of the author again, never mind. Um, we are still in the fucking introduction bit, to be quite honest, um, which is just an overview, really, of Alf's life and career. Um, and it, it, we're at the, the point where uh, it talks about the um, when it all started to go wrong for Sir Alf in the England job in the early 70s, uh, which seemed a long time after winning the World Cup. And it says the chorus of criticism reached full volume in the early 70s when Sir Alf became more vulnerable because of poor results. He was the roundhead who kept losing battles. Mm. I wonder if he described himself as the roundhead in FA meetings. I'm a fucking roundhead. I want to be beaten. I've had it up to here with these fucking cavaliers. <laughs> They're a fucking These shambles. Rodney Marshes. Yeah. <laughs> the stambles of this world. He does have a round. I mean, he has a particularly round head. A lot of baldies, yeah, does, like, yeah. you know, you and I, uh, well, you're not bald, but, you know, you have a cl- closely cropped hairdo and our heads, which works quite well in terms of, like, our, you know, things like logo design. Oh, your grand. head, your yeah. head. It looks like a couple of bollocks. Yeah, it's like a it? couple of bollocks. And his head was similar. He would have fitted right in with us. He is a very round head. Mm, if he was still alive today, I imagine he would come on as a human of honour. Like a white chocolate Malteser. Mmm, delicious. Um, so it says some of the attacks grew vindictive, with Alf painted as a relic of a vanishing past, clinging stubbornly to players and systems no longer fit for the modern age. His old-fashioned stilted voice and demeanour were mocked. <laughs> His lack of flamboyance ridiculed. Mm. What do you want to this job? Fucking Bruce Forsyth? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's well quiet. The, <laughs> the critics had their way in April 74 when he was sacked as manager after 11 years in the post. Um, hardly a surprise given England's failure to qualify for the World Cup the previous autumn. So, yeah, they didn't fuck about them, did they? Because it was the previous autumn when they'd failed to qualify. So that gave them. Um, although I suppose Don Revy took over, so I guess they needed to wait for the season to finish. At Leeds for him to take over the England job. But, yeah, he um, didn't fucking stick around long, did he? I'm not even sure he took over straight away. Was there not a caretaker manager after there was, Joe, there was Joe Mercer. No, Joe but he Mercer, came. That's he, right. But he came after um, Revy because Revy fucked off. He took he took Arab gold, didn't he? he People did, were up yeah. in arms. Like, How dare he? <laughs> exactly. And Ramsey yeah. sat home thinking, "Careful what you wish for, cunts." <laughs> you wanted the flamboyant man in the chair, didn't you? The one with so-called star quality. Well, that comes with certain risks. There you go. He came with an ego, and that ego lured him away in pursuit of Arab gold, of all things. Filth. Pure filth. <laughs> I mean, I myself... Will I come bit, back? I've accepted, I have accepted the shill of the Greeks, 
but it's not. But come on, the Greeks are not Arabs. <laughs> sure, they have this, they have a side to them, and they are not to be trusted. But they are not the Arabs. But when you go into negotiation with the Greek, you must be aware of that side. And if you do, then things should be fine. With an Arab, they have too many sides. Never negotiate with an Arab. You go to you go to negotiations with a Greek, it will be over hospitality. Just as long as you go easy on the Uzo, you should be fine. <laughs> but the Arabs, my God. Before in you know the, it, they'll have dancing girls parading around in front of you. <laughs> in negotiations with a Greek, beware. They may present you with some food wrapped in leaves. Yes, leaves off of a tree or a vine. <laughs> now, it's of the utmost importance that you do not flinch. You accept them and eat them. They are, needless to say, revolting. <laughs> but you must eat them, or the Greek will take this as a sign of disrespect. The negotiations will as, fail. It is regarded as a test. A test you must pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, Joe Mercer was the caretaker, but Joe Mercer did come in after after Sir Alf uh, oh. for seven matches. Or maybe he did it um, twice. Not according to this list, mate. Oh, no. okay. Sorry, right. Wikipedia. I thought they needed a quick person in because I thought... Um, uh, what's his name? Revy disappeared quite like abruptly, but well, he was fa- he was sacked, wasn't he? Oh, for negotiating without it's come to our attention, Mister Revy, that you have been fraternising with Arabs behind our backs. Oh right, yeah, I see what you mean. You're, you're looking at the Revy thing, yeah. I'm Revy, at the Revy thing. seventy-seven. Revy went really quickly. Yeah, yeah. he got the offer, uh, run, and he the, fucked well, off. They brought they brought Ron Greenwood in. Well, good thing was. was the old Ron, he just moved upstairs anyway, I think, at West Ham. I was letting John Lyle right. run the day-to-day. So it was nice right. and easy for him to go over there. Um, and yeah, so Joe Mercer got seven games as England manager. I don't know where, where they were. or Three wins, three draws and a defeat. All in 1974. So they're, they're probably similar to have been like the home championship. Do you remember that? They used to have that at the end of each season. Oh yeah, where the home nations would play against each other. Had to stop because of that too a, much hatred and violence. It was, it was a beautiful petri dish for violence, that wasn't it? The, yeah. the thing is about this: uh, ra- everyone being out for blood with Ramsey. It was sort of the beginning of football becoming, and just British society becoming more kind of enthralled to the idea of celebrity, and mm. everyone needing like. You know, pragmatism was out. You needed to do things with flair. And if you weren't Mm. doing it with flair, if you did it with flair, you could almost survive being unsuccessful. But conversely, if you were devoid of any flair, then even success couldn't protect you. People don't like a boring cunt. And I don't know how I feel about that because, you know, I don't like boring cunts either. Um, but, but there's some jobs that require responsibility levels and mm. you need a boring cunt to have a steady hand on the tiller, if you know what I mean. Well, I tell you, you know, politics is, is a good one for this yeah. because, like, Boris Johnson is there because people go, ah, good laugh, Boris, didn't he? He's good laugh, yeah. you can imagine having a pint with him, right? As if that fucking counts for anything meaningful. I always liked Gordon Brown, right? I mean, he, he mm. dropped... He dropped the ball a bit because he he sort of lost touch with reality, I think. 
he went a bit. <laughs> I think he went a bit palmy, and the big job he, will he, do that to you. He waited so long for the job that had almost sent him half barmy. Yeah, that's him. Got him it, exactly. That sent him edge. fucking mad. He was driven mad by Blair because he was sat there for years <laughs> looking at Blair, thinking, "You can't. I'm the clever one we here. Had a deal. Just because you, just because you've got all the fucking flair, right, in your Paul Smith suits and all the rest of it, and and uh, Gordon Brown's very parsimonious. I think he was yeah. in the Scottish Presbyterian tradition, wasn't he? And I think it fucking wound him right up the way Tony Blair was a right flash Harry having his celebrity yeah. mates and, you know, poncing around, talking French and all the rest of it. And he went fucking demented. But people, people are, are <laughs> quick to fucking forget that, you know, people say, oh, Gordon Brown, he failed and blah, blah, blah. Fucking Gordon Brown can count for his brief time as Prime Minister the fact that he fucking saved the global economy because mm. he fucking yeah. intervened in 2008 and organised the fucking um, rescue plan, right? Which yeah. obviously didn't, you know, it, it wasn't perfect, but it fucking, things were on the edge of fucking disaster and there was a big fucking meeting called and he ran the fucking show because he was the only cunt there who'd fucking read up on shit and he knew he knew economics inside out whereas the other country was like fucking Berlusconi um, what's his name who's the French one who who had the who had the Doris who oh, was a singer I, I can see his face I can see Sarkozy. his face name though Sarkozy he had a long face didn't he was it Sarkozy yeah, it was, it was Sarkozy yeah. it was just all celebrity celebrity politicians and I suppose well, I don't know I'm, where, I'm, where I'm going with this it's the, it, it became the same in football you know mm. And people, because we we get bored, we got short attention spans. Do you know what I mean? You're like, just Dah. just briefly getting, just briefly getting back to that thing about the 2008 crash. I read a thing a couple of years afterwards where it was one of those forensic analysis of the hour by hour thing mm. as it all happened. And Alistair Darling said that there was something like there were two hours away from having to close down all the cash points in this country. <gasps> Imagine that. Because there was there would have been like a run on the banks for everyone's money, and they were going to have to just say. No, you can't have your money. No money can. That would have been fucking insane. Yeah, we're well, keeping the money for it now. It reminds me of my situation with um, Hub Garden Rooms. Similar, very much so. It's a yeah. microcosm of that, isn't it? I, yeah. ga- I gave them several thousand pounds, mm. five digits, and then Jesus. Then the next day, now nah, you can't have it. What? Can't have it back. Sorry, we've gone into liquidation. Well, where's the fucking money? <laughs> Being liquidated, you can't. Um, yeah, is there an that, update on that? Anything happening? Or are we just just waiting? Still the screws wait, in your garden. Wait, wait, waiting. The screws remain in my garden, so the garden is sort of you can't. Although we did manage to have a game of swing ball this morning before school, so we can just about fit that in. But gone are our little mini football tournaments for now. Jesus, and I've got Fucking to get hell. the administrator, the liquidator, to give me the letter, which I can then give to the credit card company, who will then hopefully cough up. But I'm reading all sorts of scare stories online about how these credit card companies fucking hate it because it fucks with their cash flow because everyone's claiming shit back because of COVID and cancelled holidays and all the rest of it. Yeah. So they just uh, they they fucking present you with a bureaucratic bureaucratic nightmare. Like they have to pay up mm. eventually, but they, it'll be dragged yeah, out. But they're making you jump through hoops to do it. Yeah. So anyway, that's the tedious oh. update of my situation there. But getting back to. Got uh, Alf Ramsey. I mean, yeah, he was in many ways. He didn't qualify to one World Cup, right? But mm. he had 
won a world. So if you look at three World Cups in a row, 66, he won it. 1970, I think, you know, it's almost a cliche to say that the team was even better in 1970. We had Gordon Banks injured and we threw away a, a lead against... Was it a lead or was it that we'd come back? Anyway, we, we, we lost to Germany, didn't we, in 1970? But we were a very good yeah. team and we were very unlucky, right? So he's had two fucking good World Cups. Then he's not qualified to a third. You know, Roy Hodgson fucking clung on <clears throat> through all sorts of fucking disastrous performances. You know, I think people yeah, just but- were bored. We were getting into an era where it was like, you know, people wanted your Malcolm Allisons, your Don Revies, your Brian Cluffs. They wanted larger-than-life characters above all else. Yeah. But th- there is that argument as well, though, that football managers have their moment and then that moment goes. Yes. I mean, Jose Mourinho is an example of that. He's yeah. been running on empty now for a few years. Mm. So, you know, his, his brand of football isn't fashionable, if you like, or effective Yeah, anymore. and even at a lower so, level, like, you look at Redknapp. Harry Redknapp was decent at West Ham right but he fucking went he did really well at Portsmouth and then he got his move to Tottenham and he did super well at Tottenham for a while you know they went on an incredible for for that time since then Tottenham have achieved more but at that time it was the best they'd done in years he had an incredible team that were absolutely brilliant to watch and Redknapp just seemed like a, a manager with a golden touch he could walk in places and straightway turn them around his time's passed you know, QPR went yeah, badly. I think he's true. managed Birmingham Portsmouth. that went badly. I think Allardyce as well. I mean, Allardyce, I don't know if you remember, but Allardyce pretty much had a fucking breakdown after West Brom got relegated last season. I think they got relegated mm. against West Ham, and he's always had a problem with West Ham, Sam Allardyce, because never really got on with the fans when he was with us. Didn't think that he, he got <clears> the respect he should have done. And anyway, so it was double gutting that he had this proud boast that he'd never been relegated. And then when yeah. he did get relegated, it came against West Ham and he lost his temper in the post-match interview. It was quite spectacular yeah. to watch. It was actually Keegan-esque, I think, but I don't know, he's got a lot of friends in the media, so it didn't quite sort of get the same attention. Yeah, but I mean, I'm an Allardyce fan. He took that job on at West Brom. There was no chance of getting getting them saved. He well, saved Sunderland. What strange things have happened? He saved Palace when he was at mm. Palace. Um, saved West Ham. Obviously, Ever- Everton didn't really need saving. But, he saved um, West Ham big time. But West Ham were already down. Were they in the championship? We were down, but I think he saved us because we hired him and it seemed like a really bold move. And he took and, and we, yeah. we took a chance, but he took a massive chance going down to the championship because he could have held yeah, on yeah. and got a Premier League job. And he got us but up it, through the playoffs first time. And then he, he basically established us in the Premier League. And when he went, yeah. I was glad, but he, he established us back in the Premier League where we've been a bit of a yo-yo club for years. And so, you know, in some ways he did save us in a really bad moment in our... But his moment passed, you know, his moment passed. You look at but now, we've got, we got David Moyes, who, who, contrary to what people, you know, think about him, you know, he, he plays a, a really buccaneering brand of fast-attacking football. You know, counter-attacking football mm. with wingers. He practically the only players he ever buys is is attacking players. He fucking just buys mm. loads and loads of wingers and attacking midfielders and stuff. And that's the way he likes to play. And it it seems to me that nowadays that's those are the managers that succeed. And so he's I obviously think adapted. A, I think that might be. I think with Moyes that might be a hangover of his Sunderland experience. 
where he didn't play that kind of way. It was a kind of yeah. attritional kind of football, and we got relegated anyway. So perhaps he's gone to West Ham and thought, I no. might as well fucking go for it. But that's what, no, what happened was, you know, is that he, he had success with a more attritional football at Everton, although he did have good attacking, he probably had better players at his disposal than he had done at Sunderland, right? And anyway, he was, and also at United, he was a bit cautious too. And after the Sunderland experience and having, so he lost his job three times in a row, or I think he quit Sunderland actually, yeah. but he probably would have been fired, right? So, so it was United, Real Sociedad and Sunderland, right? So what he did was he rebuilt himself rather than just sulk and wait for the next fucking, you know, job to, poxy job to come up. He went off and he spent like a year in the wilderness going around to other clubs, specifically the Red Bull clubs, right? He spent time behind the scenes examining the way in which they operated and the way in which they coached. And he basically came up with a whole new way of coaching and managing. He, he adapted. It was adapt to survive. It was Darwinism. And then when he got the job at West Ham, <laughs> he, he was a change man. So he, he brought some of the man management stuff, I guess he probably carried with him at previous clubs. But tactically, he'd adapted because that's what's going on at the moment. Look, there are no teams. Yeah. There, are, there, are, You know, the, if you look at teams like... I mean, even when Chelsea won the league under Mourinho, it was sort of effective football, wasn't it? As opposed to thrilling football. I mean, obviously, they had brilliant players. but But now... All the teams going for the title are exciting attacking teams, mm. you know. And so, well, so Allardyce's time has, has gone. I hope those days never come back. It seems to be cyclical. So there might be a time where suddenly the old, you know, the sort of attritional football comes back in. But I hope not, because it's well, a fucking you need, entertainment you need to, you business. You need a manager that's going to do the job that needs to be done. I mean, Crystal Palace have been burned before. Palace needed Allardyce to save him a few years ago, right? Mm. And he did. And then they brought in, who was it, Frank De Boer. Oh, who disaster. Completely, it was a disaster. So then, then who did they turn to? Roy Hodgson, mm. a, a steady hand on the tiller, who then steadied the, them the for like three seasons. Bored. The fans got bored after yeah. three seasons, similar to us Stan fans with Allardyce. In the end, you're just like, fuck this, we want a change. And so now, now they brought in Patrick Vieira, who has no real pedigree as a manager at all, really. And they'll probably go so down. So be careful what you wish for. In my yeah. opinion, so Palace will probably for. go down. Because I think they've mm. been on the verge of going down because they've got a pretty poor squad for for a long time. But because they had Hodgson there, they sort of, you know, eked out enough through his very pra- pragmatic brand of football to just about survive. Yeah. Now they've taken a fucking gamble and they're going down. Yeah, probably. Oh, Vieira will go in February or something like that and then they'll try and bring Allardyce back. Yeah. Or Hodgson will come out of retirement and he'll say six months only. Jalapeño. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Jalapeño. Whatever happened to fucking Alan Kerbishley? Alan Kerbishley had this incredible, like, reputation at Charlton. Then he came to West Ham, and he was never, like, wildly popular at West Ham, but he oversaw, like, he's got, when you look at, you know, they do lists of, like, the best records of all your managers. I think he's always top, because he did Mm. coincide almost exactly with those mad Icelandic biscuit billionaires taking us over. So he bought bought a lot of kind of big-name players. But he was really good. In the end, he quit, because he was undermined, I think, by Sullivan and all this stuff. And uh, or some maybe not someone some someone undermined him, and um, th- he's never been heard of since. I mean, think of all these managers. The or you, it, think of all these it, managers it, who keep getting jobs. You Steve Bruce's right. Mark Hughes did it for years. Tony Pulis did it for years. Right. Uh, Hodgson. They've all fucking you know, and and it's often criticised that all these old British managers just fucking are on this merry-go-round. Why was Curbs left out of it? He had a better record than all of them at West Ham and Charlton. Don't know, mate. I think about him quite a lot. As, you, as you can tell, I think about Cubs a lot. I worry about mm. him. But, of course, he shouldn't want for too much if he, you know, I'm sure he made his money. But don't forget, his brother manages the who. So, yeah, you know, he maybe, got to worry maybe he could get involved with that operation. I don't know. Life's, life, he maybe he's just who consultancy that he doesn't speak about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Off the books. Yeah, yeah. Cash. But, um, Daltrey plays him in cash. Yeah. But an interesting Allardyce fact, um, I think out of all the clubs he's managed at, there's only been one where the incumbent manager after him has had a better win rate. So, oh, you know. I tell you, you dug that stat up. Sam Allardyce. <laughs> No, uh, it's me. He seems like a nice guy, Sam. I've, I've, yeah, I met him a couple of times. And he, you know, he's nice and everything, and he's loved. But it was really hard to get along with him when he supported when he was managing West Ham because he had contempt. Then who did you have after him? Who did you have after Slavin Bilic? Slavin Bilic. Yeah. And what happened was, what was interesting was Bilic came in and he was almost the anti Allardyce because Allardyce was this sort of, you know, big fucking bloke from the mm. black country very unrefined and unsophisticated and, and Bilic comes in he's this smoothie from Croatia quite handsome mm. and like very charming and uh, urbane and in our first season we were absolute dynamite and everyone was like see see Allardyce you fucker like we could play because he'd always been going you can't expect to play good football you're not good enough you're not a big enough team you can't do it you have to do it my way and we played amazing football finished seventh only just missed out on Europe had a great season and everyone was like what have you got to say about that and I saw him appear on telly a couple of times and he just sort of went just wait he had that attitude just wait cons. Just and then what happened one swallow does not a summer make is that the uh, <laughs> is that the phrase I don't know Anyway, he was right because as it turned out, it was entirely based on the fact that we had Dimitri Payet. Dimitri Payet, that season, in my honest belief, was the best player in the world. In the world, yeah. I do think well, he yeah, was. Well, yeah, he was. He was incredible. Still it, was, it, that, yeah. it was ridiculous, right? And if you've got a player that good, it fucking hides a lot of other fucking problems. 
because he was winning every game. And then he got injured for seven games and we lost them all. And then when he came back in, mm. we won all the games again. Allardyce fucking knew, right? So Pyatt yeah, went a bit so barmy the next year, fucked off back to France and we just turned to shit and Bilic got sacked. But And then Allardyce, he always plays the long game because Bilic wound up at West Brom in the end, right? Got them promoted and then they started the season really badly. They were bottom, so they sacked him. Guess who they replaced him with? Sam so fucking Allardyce. And on that day, yep. Sam walked in and he crossed paths as Bilic was probably walking out of the Hawthorns with all his bits and bobs in a cardboard box. He would have just looked at him and said, told you, cunt. <laughs> right, that's enough about West Ham. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at Don Revy. Uh, no, let's not look at Don Revy because we're going to get sidetracked again. Let's go back to Sir Alf Ramsey. Right. That's why we're here, isn't it? Yeah. Um, where the fuck are we? Yeah, so he got the sack. Um, it was a painful blow for Sir Alf, one from which he never really recovered. He once explained that only three things mattered to him football, my country, and my wife. that's nice I like that Um, and for the remainder of his years he carried a feeling of betrayal football has passed me by he said towards the end of his life well I mean yeah it did but that's what happens Um, in his birthplace of Dagenham he seems to have been airbrushed from history no statue no blue plaque in the street where he was born or the ground where he first played no road or club or school bears his name I mean, Dagenham, that's West Ham territory, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. You could get involved, surely, and get something fucking sorted well, I, out there. The thing is, he didn't, have any, he didn't have any connection to West Ham, though, although he was a, from round there. And there's a particular uh, there's a <clears throat> particular contempt amongst the East End, amongst the West Ham family, for anyone of our own who betrays us and goes elsewhere. <clears throat> That's why Tries they, to better themselves. They hate David Beckham so much because Beckham was like <laughs> from slap bang West Ham territory, yeah. grew up round there, and he fucking loved United from an early age. It's all picture of him when he was a kid in his United shirt. Bobby Charlton soccer school. That's right. right. Yeah. Fucking, he's lucky to get away without a blinding. Snot nosed little cunt. Yeah, look at him. He wants to go out there, does he? So that's probably the. I'll, I'll do some that's research. I'll enough. ask around, but I feel as if the old West Ham, the old legacy mm. fans from back then, would have been. Was he? Because I think he managed Ipswich, didn't he? Ramsey wasn't that his club? Yeah, yeah. Before England, yeah. Before England, yeah. Yeah. Fucking countryside. What you got fucking out cunt. there for with them fucking yokels? Clean heads. Fucking yeah. clean air. Wearing your fucking Wellington boots, are you? You mug. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when the BBC organised a competition to decide what the main bridge at the new Wembley Stadium should be called, Sir Alf's name was on the shortlist, yet the public voted for the title of the White Horse Bridge after the white horse that ran on the pitch of the 1923 FA Cup final. Um, with all due respect to this creature, says our author... It is something of an absurdity that the winning manager of the World Cup should have to trail in behind a horse. That almost sounds like a line from Ramsey's mouth himself. I think by referring it to uh, by referring to it as a a creature, you are not showing it all due respect. This disgusting beast that fouls itself in the street for all to see. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you know, this is increasingly becoming a pro horse podcast. And oh, yeah, got, it's all um, about horses now. Yeah, um, everything we do is pretty much horse related at the minute. Uh, so, yeah, he missed out. Um, oh, we've got uh, Mike Summerby having a whinge about they should they should put a bronze statue of Alf at the new Wembley and they should call it the Alf Ramsey Stadium, he says. But um, Alf's epic self-restraint was beautifully captured at the end of the World Cup final of 1966, where he sat impassively staring ahead while all around him were scenes of joyous mayhem at England's victory. I think I might have pissed myself. <laughs> I cannot stand up. <laughs> Get me one of those blankets and a new pair of trousers before I go to the pitch. I'll do it while they're lifting the trophy. Have all of those um, players sit down. That way I will not be so conspicuous. <laughs> yeah. Uh... The only words he uttered after Jeff Hurst's third goal were a headmasterly rebuke to his trainer, Harold Shepherdson. And the trainer, of course, was the name of what would be the assistant manager now. They were called the trainer, weren't they? Harold Shepherdson, who'd leapt to his, his feet in ecstasy. And Sir Alf rebuked him with, Sit down, Harold! <laughs> <laughs> Show some decorum! Sit down, Harold is a great title for like a sitcom, isn't it? Yeah, or, or a catchphrase. Yeah, or a book. Sit down, Harold. Sit down, Harold. My school days. <laughs> uh, the players gathered for the lap of honour. They tried to push Alf to the front to greet the cheers of the crowd, but with typical modesty, he refused. This was not, he says, due to any lack of inner passion, but due to his shyness. Oh, man. And then there's a quote from him, which is awful. I'm a very emotional person, but my feelings are always tied up inside. Oh. Oh, man. This song Fuck lyrics yeah, sort of stuff, isn't it? It does sound like song lyrics, yeah. Maybe it is a mistake to be like this, but I cannot govern it. I don't think there's anything wrong with showing emotion in public, but it is something I can never do. <laughs> oh, well, man. I think that's... I think that's very eloquently put I agree with it and, and the, good, the good thing about that is the yeah. good thing is that he's got self-awareness and self-awareness yeah. is a great, great and thing and the other thing have, you're not you know, expecting him to say is there's nothing wrong with showing emotion in public because because mm. of this sort of very very starchy traditional persona you would imagine him saying I don't think it's the business of an English man to burden yeah. to burden others with his so-called Onlookers. emotions <laughs> Keep them locked away, if you have them at all. I I <laughs> hope that you have none, but if you do, hide them. Hide them with shame. A, a firm handshake and a nod should be enough for celebration. It's sufficient. I believe that I believe that in uh, South America, some of the, pl- the players now hug each other when they score a goal. I hope that never creeps into the English game. That would be <laughs> unacceptable. Um, yeah... He, uh, he, yeah, that does show great self-awareness. Yeah, some people can't. I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm quite an emotional person, right? But mm. um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily feel uh, that comfortable, like crying in public. No, no, same here. Um, you know, sometimes you're called upon to to do something quite emotional publicly and it I don't know it doesn't sit right with me 
It's not fair, is it? Not fair to be asked to do that sort of thing. <laughs> right, I made this pilot once, and it was called... I can't remember. It was basically called something like All About Me, right? And you had a different... Each week, there was a different... Ho- it never Obviously, it never got made. I could do a whole book on pilots that I made of shows that were never... <laughs> like, went, never went to fucking... Yeah. You know, whatever you call it, commission. But this one... I tell you who made it. It was our mutual friend Simon London, right? And yeah. the idea was each week there was a different celebrity host, right? And a panel. Right. I was on the panel, like for the pilot, and yeah. all the questions were about whoever the host was that week. So it was a quiz about that celebrity, but they asked right, the questions, yeah. yeah. And it was me and two other, and there was two comedians on the panel. And the host for the pilot was Abby Titmus. Do you remember when Abby Titmus was super oh, famous? Oh, I remember Abby Titmus being a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was massive. Yeah, that was enjoyable, an enjoyable yeah. time. And um, and she was doing it. And there was a so we were we were filming it in front of a studio audience, quite a large studio audience. Yeah, and She's googling Abby Titmus now. And I was sitting behind the desk and, and, you know, you had to fucking chip in like you do on these panel shows, silly bollocks. Most of it has all been pre-written, you know, but you're pretending it's spontaneous. But then Simon hadn't told me, but there was a, a round, right, where they Abby Tipman said, right, and the, the part of the stage turned round and it said, here is an exact recreation of my teenage bedroom, right? This is Abby Tipman's hey. teenage bedroom. She went, and to score points, because I think there was some sort of contrived point scoring system, um, you need to uh, put on the headphones, right? Go into my bedroom, <laughs> put on my Sony Walkman headphones, pick up the microphone, yeah. and whatever one of my favourite... Um, 80s songs is plays in your ears you have to sing and dance to in front of the audience yeah alright okay and this was thrown on me and I think Simon knew that the other two people were comedians who were much more used to sort of being flamboyant performers and he thought yeah. Sam's gonna go no I'm not gonna do that I don't don't want to do that so they didn't fucking tell me and they go Sam right you're up right and it was like fucking what was the song it was a Madonna song I can't remember what right fucking like a prayer or something but no one else could fucking hear it Andy so I'm stood there like a fucking lemon in a recreation of Abby Titmus's teenage bedroom right just singing tunelessly fucking like a prayer by Madonna yeah and I couldn't even hide behind a backing track you know, Could you do that for us now? Life is a mystery. Everyone must stand alone. I hear you call my name. And it feels like... Pause. Home. When I go... And then there's that gospel choir bit and everything. It was yeah. like... It was awful, mate. And I just didn't... And at one point, I came up with a masterstroke because I, I just felt like a fucking, like, a gormless dope. And that's what I'm sure yeah. I look like as well, right? And I just did this thing of holding the microphone out to the audience to for the them audience. to sing. Very It was quite Very clever good. of me. And that kind yeah. of got a bit of a laugh and got it out and got me out of it a bit. But, you mm. know, so what I'm saying is I know how Alf Ramsey felt when, he, when they won the 1966 yeah. World Cup. I've been there myself. You've been there, a similar, 
similar yeah. feeling, similar occasion. We need to try and decide a song that we're going to open our upcoming live shows with. And yeah. I've just added like a prayer to the shortlist for when we come oh, on stage at the beginning. What's good about that so, is the drama, the melodrama oh. of like a prayer means you can start <laughs> small. Like I picture that with us both. You know, like in acting classes, they do, you know, you're an acorn grow into a tree. Like, yeah. So we're both sort of sat in like almost the downward dog position on stage and just two yeah. spotlights suddenly appear. We'll be in all yeah. full black leotard sort of all cat suits. Mm-hmm. And that's when you do the life is a... Because then it builds up, does it? It builds up and then it goes yeah. fucking mad. And I'm thinking, yeah. I know you like to keep costs and props to a minimum, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking gospel choir. Gospel mm. choir, like one that doesn't have to travel Mid- with Max- us. Can- Mac, Mac, mm, Max, Max, oh, right. are you thinking we just hire a local, the local one gospel in. choir mm. for each show? For yeah, each that venue. could work. Yeah, that could work. Tickets still on sale. November. Yeah. And if you fancy seeing um, us do like a prayer, or it could be something else, or who knows, this time we might do more than one song. It was very popular opening it with "Walk the Dinosaur" on our last tour. So we've got yeah. There's a there's you know the, the bar is set high. Yeah, my worry is that there's the whole PRS payments when you do someone else's song. I think we should write our own show-stopping opening song. We could just do "Living Out Loud." People seem to like that we song. We could do. We could do. Let's not uh, make any decisions here mm. in the middle of an episode, though. Let's end it there because um, it's meandered out of control yeah. yet again. Yeah. Um, we'll be back with more Seraph Ramsey possibly ne- uh, next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.